All right, so hey, good morning. Good morning. Today we uh, wrap up our message series called Find Your People. And we've been talking about uh, building deep community in a lonely world. Really what we've been talking about is, is authentic Christian community or the word that's, that's used in the New Testament. It's this little Greek word that's called koinonia. And it means, it means sort of like fellowship, not, not just friendships, not just acquaintances, not just friends at church, but a, a group of people who share their lives with one another, all grounded in the life of Jesus. The, the common bond in this group is Jesus, and it's a community that is on mission for the kingdom of God. That, that's what we are all after. That's what we're all about, building this deep, authentic Christian community in a particularly lonely world at times. And there's nothing more lonely than having to suffer alone. So today I figured uh, that we would talk about the fellowship of suffering. Oh boy. Oh joy. Aren't you glad you came uh, to church today? Uh, my wife asked me yesterday, Hey, what are you preaching about tomorrow? And I said, the fellowship of suffering. And she just let out a groan like, okay, we'll get through this. All right. It's, it's, it's all fine. Um, but let's just define terms as we, as we kick this thing off. Here's what I mean by the fellowship of suffering. Fellowship of suffering is this unspoken organic bond between people who have suffered deeply and similarly. And if these people have suffered deeply and similarly, when they meet, there's just this kind of organic bond that happens between them. That, that if, if you're the pastor, if you're the friend, if you're, if you're the family member, you, you can be there for someone in their darkest moments. You can, you can offer a prayer. You can share a verse. You can bring a casserole. That's all good. That's, that's all helpful. But when a person who is suffering deeply meets someone else who has also suffered deeply and in a similar way, you just need to step aside because it's almost like there, there's something magical that happens in those relationships. And, you know, one of the, one of the, Worst things uh, that you could possibly say in, in one of those moments, you know, when someone's uh, in the midst of, of grieving or suffering and, and you just don't know quite what to say. Here's, here's a hint. One of the worst things that you could say is, I know. I know. It's not, it's not the worst thing that you could say. But if you don't actually know what it is that they're going through, then you don't actually know. And so don't say that you do because all that can do is sometimes make somebody feel even more lonely if you falsely assume what it's like to go through what they're going through. However, on the flip side of this, there is nothing more comforting than when someone says, I know when they have walked that same hard and jagged path and they come and they say, I know I, I get it. I've, I've been there and I'm here for you now. There's nothing more powerful than when someone knows, shares that with someone who is just figuring out this unique pain for the first time. You see, those, those who have suffered in the past are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are currently suffering. 
Now, if you're thinking like, geez, this all sounds just like kind of really heavy, not really how I wanted to start my Sunday morning, and there's like a hurricane coming, and like, this is blah, blah. Okay, all right, <laughs> all right, I get it, okay? Let's, let's just, um, I'm going to kind of dig us out of this pit for a second, maybe give us a little bit of, of hope, and then at the end of this message, I'm just going to throw you back in the pit, okay? <laughs> just so you know where we're going today, all right? Don't want to be any surprise. So, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is, is finding your people, the people that you trust, the people that you share life with, the people that, that can shoulder your burdens and you can shoulder theirs. Finding your people and building this deep, authentic Christian community in a lonely world. And so today I want to take us to something that the Apostle Paul wrote, um, but, but I, don't want us, I, I don't want this to be just kind of lost on us. You see, the men and women who wrote the New Testament, the the Christian teachings of the Bible, they were not men and women who were immune from suffering in their life. In fact, they often suffered far greater than most of us will ever know ourselves. And so before we read this, you know, just think like when the Apostle Paul wrote this, He's not writing this on the beach while somebody's hand feeding him grapes and he's just trying to think about what he's going to blog about next. No, he's writing this from from a place of pain currently. He's he's writing this from a place of his own suffering. And so we're going to be in... um, the book of Second Corinthians, it's not really a book. It's the, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, it's actually probably the third or the fourth, but we know that we're missing a couple letters, so we just call it the second one. And so <clears throat> here's how he begins this letter to the church of Corinth. He starts off the usual way. He says, hey, hello, I'm Paul. You know, you all know me and, you know, how are you, all that stuff. And then he just dives right in. This is verse three. He says, may the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate father and the God of all comfort. Pause, just pause there. Say pause with me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, pause. God is the compassionate father. And the God of all, the source of all comfort. Now, this is why this is really interesting. Because uh, 12 chapters later, uh, Paul is going to tell us that this compassionate father, this God of all comfort, gave him what he calls a thorn in his flesh. This thing that was so humiliating and debilitating and permanent, Paul says, God gave this to me and God won't take it away. Paul says, I've got this issue and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and God still hasn't done anything about it. To which we say, okay, Paul, you're proving my point here. Like, like this, this is my problem. You just illustrated my problem for me. You talk about a good God, a compassionate father, the God, the source of all comfort who allows bad things to happen. So how can I, God, trust, how can I trust the God of all comfort when God allows so much uncomfortable things into my life? But here's, here's the good news. And when you read the New Testament, you, you have to understand 
the, the men and women, the authors of the New Testament, they, they understood this dilemma. They lived in this tension. That Paul, the same guy who says, God allowed something bad to happen to me. And yet he says, yet I continue to believe. I continue to trust that God is the source of all comfort. That word comfort there uh, that Paul uses, we're going to see all throughout this passage. It's, it's not sympathy. It's not a hallmark card. It's not a pat on the back. It's, it's comfort that actually transforms us, brings about change. It's this Greek word paraklesis, and it means, it means to show up and to render aid. It's another word that Jesus kind of used for the Holy Spirit. It's not this soft blanket. That's not what comfort is. It's a source. It's a source of strength when you're weak. It's this thing that kind of galvanizes you when you're under pressure. And Paul says, that's the kind of God that I serve. In the midst of all of this pressure, I find a source of comfort, a source of strength. And so he goes on, he says, May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. And then he says, he is the one who comforts us in all of our trouble. Pause again. Um, When you're having trouble, when you're in trouble, do you pray for comfort? When, when, you're, when, when, when you're going through some stuff, come on, when, when you're in the middle of, of pain, is your first thought to pray for, for your comfort? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you pray that it just goes away, right? What would make me a whole lot more comfortable is for all of this to just disappear magically, okay? I don't need to be comforted in it. I need to be comforted out of it. God, the pastor can comfort me. You need to make this stop. I need you to do something, God, that, that the pastor can't do, that my friends can't do. We, we don't pray for comfort, but here's what Paul is saying here. He says, the God of all comfort will comfort you in, in all circumstances. In the circumstances that God will change, there will be comfort. In the circumstances that don't change, there will be comfort. Either way, you can count on the comfort of God in all our trouble. He said, he's the one who comforts us in all of our trouble. He goes on and he says, so that, okay, so that. So there's, there's a purpose to this. There's a point to this. And we want to say, God comforts us in all of our trouble so that we'll be comforted. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> he says, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. Now, this is a big, big deal here. God comforts people. God comforts us in in the midst of our trouble so that, so that we can comfort other people in, in the midst of their trouble. God comforts us so that we will then have the ability, so that we will then have the capacity to comfort others in every kind of trouble. To which we say, whoop-de-doo, good for them. I'm still in trouble. I, I, I still want to be out of this. But, but listen to me. Not every time God will deliver you out of something. That, that sometimes God delivers you through something. 
And when God delivers you through something, God will use that so that you can pass it on. God comforts us, Paul says, so that we can comfort others. Now, the God of all comfort comforts us so that we can then comfort others. So how does God comfort us? Well, through one another. He goes on with this kind of argument here. He says, this is because, this is because we have received so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's suffering. So what Paul does here, he sets up like an algebra equation. He says, you know, X equals Y. It's a little kind of confusing here, but Paul says, just as X Christ comfort equals in the same way, Christ suffering. I probably just made you all a whole lot more confused, especially those of you who skipped algebra class like me. All right. But what Paul says here is that Christ comforts us because Christ has gone through the same thing as us. He knows it. He, he gets it. And, and Paul's not just talking about the horrible, painful, terrible crucifixion of Jesus. But he's saying Jesus was human. He, he's experienced the same things. He got hot. He was lonely. He felt abandoned. He was homeless. He got hungry. Christ suffered in every possible human way so that he can comfort us in our every human need. And let me just tie this back to to what Paul had just said. He he sets up this equation. He says there's a purpose to it. Because our capacity to comfort is directly tied to our experience of suffering. Our capacity to comfort is directly tied to our experience of suffering. And that, that's just a hard truth of life. But you know this, when, when you meet someone who understands what you're going through because they've been through it themselves, there's something different in that exchange. And so Paul goes on, he says, so, verse six, so if we have trouble. And they do this, this, we here, uh, Paul is talking about himself and, and his other missionaries that are with him. And so he says, so if we have trouble and they have all sorts of trouble, it is to bring you comfort and salvation. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul would say, look, 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 <clears throat> all this stuff that we're going through, it's really just for your benefit in the end. Because even though we've been in jail and we've been beaten and people throw stones at us and, and we've been ostracized and, and people mock us all day long, we're, we're still here. God is still good. And we're still writing to you who are going through similar stuff. We're writing to you to remind you, you can do this. We're writing to you to, to say, don't give up. To, to bring you comfort and salvation. Then he, he kind of wraps this piece up. He says, if we are comforted, it is to bring you comfort from the experience of endurance, what we're going through, what you're going through, while you go through the same sufferings that we also suffer. Our hope for you is certain because we know that as you are partners in suffering, so also you are partners in comfort. You see how this whole thing works out? I know I lost some of you back in verse three. Okay, don't worry. I'm about to put it all back together for us. I know I just kind of broke it all apart. Let me just kind of put it back together for us. I'm going to just read the whole thing over. It says, may the God 
and father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate father and the God of all comfort. He's the one who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we re- that we ourselves received from God. That is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's sufferings. And so, so if we have trouble, it is to bring you comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is to bring you comfort from the experience of endurance while you go through the same sufferings that we also suffer. As our hope for you is certain, dear church in Corinth, because we know that as you are partners in our suffering, you are also partners in our comfort. And so here's, here's the bottom line. God designed comfort as something that, that we receive, but then we don't just hold on to it. We, we are meant to pass it on to others and empathy. You know, that's what we're talking about. Empathy is a gift from God. Okay, great. Now that we got that out of the way, um, here's what I want to talk about the rest of the time. I want to talk about aviation, like flying planes, big metal birds in the sky. You know, I know hard left hand turn, but just stick with me for a second. Um, we need to come, come, come back up for air. Get it? Um, so when I was a kid, uh, we, we used to live near an airport. Um, really, it was, it was just a grass field. It was called Buckins Landing. Not a real airport, just a landing strip. Um, but there was this neighborhood in our hometown where a bunch of the neighbors were kind of private pilots or, you know, retired pilots. And they had uh, these small little private planes literally in their backyard surrounding this strip of grass. And my family, uh, we became friends with one of the pilots. And so uh, I would often ride my bike over to his house and help him work on. And we actually built an airplane together. How cool is that? Like 10 years old, I got to build an airplane. That's awesome, right? Also, how dumb of my neighbor to let a 10-year-old help him build an airplane. Um, he didn't let me do anything too, too important, but I did uh, get to take off and land on this grass strip many, many times. I think I have some uh, compressed vertebrae uh, to prove it. Anyways, um, if you've ever seen the cockpit of one of these uh, small airplanes, um, it's, it's not really a cockpit. It's just called the front seat um, where the handle thingy is, right? Um, it's called the yoke, actually. But there's all of these, these controls on this control panel. They're, they're called instruments, and they measure certain things. They, they measure the wind. They measure the altitude. They measure the pressure. Uh, there's even one uh, to make sure that, that you're flying level. It's just kind of like a big level for the plane to make sure that you're flying horizontal and you stay parallel to the ground ground like that's kind of scary to think about um but uh part of part of getting your private pilot's license actually being licensed to fly one of these planes on your own is, is you have to fly essentially blindfolded that, that you can't see out of the windshield in front of you the only thing they have this thing over your eyes the only thing that you're allowed to look at while you're flying is this control panel and so that level <laughs> comes in handy when you can't see the horizon out of your windshield and you can't tell if your plane is actually level to the ground or not, you depend upon that little 
instrument. And so some of these uh, instruments do, do many different things and, and you don't really need them during the day when you can see outside uh, the windshield, but, but you certainly need them at night. You, you need the altometer or the barometer. You, you don't really need all of those things. If, if the sun's out and, and things are going well, there's not a cloud in the sky, but when a storm hits, man, you depend upon those things. And actually, before you ever even get into the plane, the first thing that you have to do is what's called a safety check. You have to go around the whole outside of the plane, check the flaps, check the brakes, make sure everything's working right, the lights are working. And then when you do finally get up into the air, you have to wear this headset. The whole time you're talking to other pilots, you're talking to the control tower, see who else is in the air, when it's safe to take off, when it's safe to land, all of that stuff. And so there's, there's a word for this in the aviation industry. All of these things, all these measurements, these protocols, there's a word for this in the aviation industry. Um, I think in, in just about every kind of heavy machinery industry, it's called um, safety redundancy. Safety redundancy, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, and, and here's the definition of it. It's protocols that are pre-established and put into place that minimize the chance for disaster to happen. Now, all of these protocols, they can't 100% rule out disaster from happening, but here's what they can do. They can minimize the percentage point. And they can, they can minimize the damage if disaster does happen. Protocols that are pre-established and put into place that minimize the chance for disaster to happen or the, or the damage that comes afterwards. It's all of these things that, that seem so redundant, so over the top when everything is going well, but they are what is needed most when you get on that radio and you call out Mayday. So here's, here's my point. Friends, this <laughs> church, this is your safety redundancy. Well, actually more to the point, small groups. That's your safety redundancy. I won't harp on this too much. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you've heard me talk about small groups till we're all sick and tired of it. But, but part of their purpose is this, safety redundancy, this, this pre-established protocol, weekly gatherings together to put into place that minimize the chance for disaster to happen because you have people who are giving you wise counsel. You have people who are speaking into your life. You have people who are holding you accountable accountable, or you have a group of people that are there to help minimize the damage when disaster does happen because life just goes sideways sometimes. It's the people who show up to comfort you in the midst of that May Day moment. And they come bearing a text message and a prayer and a bunch of flowers and a casserole, but also some of them might come bearing those words, I know. I know what you're going through because I've been there too. And I'm here with you now. Let's get through this together. As we talked about on our first week of this message series, we said big faith, big faith grows in small groups. Well, I'll, I'll also add that small groups help in big ways when life goes sideways. So find your people do do your safety redundancy even, even if you don't need to radio out for May Day right now, gather your people, begin to build that deep community in this lonely world. 
Because you know this, there is nothing lonelier than suffering alone. And there is nothing more comforting than being comforted in your suffering to know that you are not alone. So find your people. But also for, for some of you, for some of you, you, you need something a little bit more specific. Some of you need to find your, your I know kind of people. Some of you need to find a support group, a group of people who have and are currently walking the same path as you, who, who really know what, what it's like to, to lose a loved one, a grief support group. So some of you need some people who have, who have just been divorced, just like you. Who, who are trying and learning to figure out how to be t- caretakers now. People who are, who are going through recovery. You ask people in, in recovery why they keep going to meetings. You say, you know, you've, you've been clean. You've been sober for, for all of these years. Why do you keep going to meetings? They'll say, safety redundancy. Minimizing the damage. But also some of you. Some of you need to be comforters. And it's time for you to do that. that. That you've been through some things and now you can step up and step into some of those hard and messy moments in other people's lives. You can step into those situations and say, I know, I know, I get it. You, you don't have to waste your sorrows, but you can leverage your sorrows for the sake of other people. That if you have been there, you are uniquely qualified to comfort people who are currently there. So let me, let me end with this. Um, Paul says in an earlier letter in 1 Corinthians, um, he says, we, we as the church, we're, we're one body. We're, 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 all, we're all one body, but we're all kind of different members of it. Like some are a hand and some are an eye and some are an ear and someone's a belly button, someone's a spleen, but, but we all make up one body. And he says, he says something really profound. He says that because we are all connected, that when one of us suffers, well, we all end up suffering. When, when, when one member gets hurt, gets injured, the whole body ends up feeling it. And so I'm going to ask you to do something, and I know this is going to be really uncomfortable and weird for, for some of you, um, but the preacher last week like made you color or something. So, um, and it was, it was great, but I'm not going to make you do that, but I'm going to make you do something else that's, that's very uncomfortable for some of you. Um, and, and it's going to involve you being a little bit vulnerable, but, but that's okay, because in our vulnerability, that's when we find healing for ourselves. And so I'm going to ask everyone, uh, close your eyes. Even though it's dark in here, just go close your eyes. I'm going to read through a, a list of, of experiences that typically bring some pain, some suffering. And, and if you hear one of those things that I read, one of those, those experiences that, that you have gone through, you're currently going through, would you stand at the end of that? And keep your eyes closed, everyone, until we get to the end of this. And so... Um, if you have ever lost a loved one, either, either tragically or, or at an early age, I would ask, would, would you stand and keep your eyes closed for everyone else? If you've ever suffered due to a relationship, either your, your parents divorce, your divorce, an unhealthy relationship, would you stand? 
If you've ever suffered abuse or neglect in any way, would you stand? If you've ever suffered due to exclusion or oppression or prejudice, or you've been marginalized in some way, would you stand? If you've ever suffered due to depression, anxiety, another mental health disorder or psychological trauma, either for yourself or from someone else, would you stand? If you've ever suffered from critical sickness or illness, would you stand? And, and I would invite you, you can now open your eyes. Take a look. Take a look around the room. These are your people. Paul says that when one member of the body suffers, we all feel it. We all suffer. And we are all comforted by the comfort of other people. Those who have been where we have been. Your people right here. And it's these people that will show you that the worst thing is never the last thing for God. And I would ask for those of you who, who aren't standing, I want to ask you to stand, stand in solidarity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's just take one last look around the room. These are your people. This is your koinonia, your fellowship. This is your church. These are your people. These are your comforters. And friend, these, friends, these are the people that you need to comfort. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of the church community. It is, Lord, it's messy sometimes. We don't always get it right. And we miss things. We don't always say the right things. Lord, forgive us for that. And help us forgive one another for those times. But, but Lord, remind us of, of this gift that we have in one another right here, right now. Lord, help us to be your people. Help us to be your people for one another. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.